Lord, we just ask that the words of our song would be the reality of our hearts, God, as we proclaim we just want you, God, I pray that that would be a declaration that comes from the inner depths, God, that that would be our reality, that would be our truest and ultimate desire, God, that we just want you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Well, in line with that, um, we're in the middle of this series, Lost Cause, and um, as David was sharing that, and I was thinking, you know, I, I earlier in kind of first hour, I was like, I think the best way to lead in off of that is to really just go ahead and give you the main nugget of, of what I hope amounts to be wisdom uh, for you, and you can just take it, and, and, and you can leave if you want after that, all right? So there's really one thing I want to hope to communicate well today. I'm just going to give it to you in one bite, and, uh, and, and I hope that, um, hope that you can take this reality, this truth, um, and really experience it, really encounter it today. And as David shared, and I just, anytime you come in on a Sunday morning, and you think about just the people around the room, you know that uh, the reality of what he said is true, that the struggle runs deep. And as I spend time with people, and, and uh, many of you invite me into the things that you're walking through and, uh, and ask me to be praying through those things, and, and really, um, I take that journey. It's impossible, I think, to disconnect emotionally from the things that people are struggling through. And uh, I think that's really the essence of what the body of Christ is. And so I appreciate a moment like that where we can kind of lean into that and just be honest. That's what I love about the Psalms is it's just... It's truly just raw and honest, and I think God can really handle our rawness and our honesty, and so uh, hopefully you had a moment to kind of sit in that, but as we get started today, um, I really want to just bring a truth um, out before you and, and share it with you as we understand that the struggle does run deep. So I don't know what the struggle looks like for you today. As you come in here, um, we, we all are kind of, we find ourselves in the midst of it, though, uh, often. And so whatever that struggle looks like, we know that the struggle runs deep. And so I want to just kind of try something out with you here for just a minute. And this is sort of supported by um, psychology as, as a methodology that actually works. Therapists use it. Um, and the idea is this, that if you say something out loud, it actually has even, it holds more power uh, to be transformative and really embed itself in your life than if you just think it, okay? And so I want to, we're going to say something out loud here in just a minute. And, and here was interestingly, as he talks about the struggle, this was kind of that one-liner that I really wanted to hammer home today, and, um, and that's this, that the struggle runs deep, but hope runs deeper. The struggle runs deep, but hope runs deeper. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to say the struggle runs deep, and because it's beneficial to speak these words out loud in order to embed them in our life, uh, I want you to, with all the gusto that you have this morning, uh, to speak back to me that hope runs deeper. And maybe this is an exchange that as brothers and sisters in Christ that we could uh, offer one another from time to time. It's like, yes, the struggle. And that's not to diminish, right, or devalue the fact that the struggle runs deep. It's just to say, hey, but his hope runs deeper. So hope runs deeper. So I'm going to say the struggle runs deep. I want you to say hope runs deeper, right? You ready? The struggle runs deep. It's actually pretty good. I'm impressed. I'm going to try it one more time. The struggle runs deep. 
That's right. Amen. And that is the truth, and that is a reality that we hope to convey to the world, which is really the point of this Lost Cause series, that we would be a people that not only have received, have encountered hope, that are not only embedding that truth in our own life, but we are conveying that message of hope to the world. That is the cause of Christ, that we continue to help people understand that through the person and presence of Jesus, That when we just want him, that he has the power to breathe hope into our lives, he and he alone. So this is the message. And and as we think about that today, one of the things that I had thought about is it's not so much as we talk about today, uh, this idea of being the lost message. It's not so much that the message is lost, but I think that sometimes the message is lost in translation. Okay, Have you ever heard that phrase, lost in translation? An example would be if you've ever experienced something that's absolutely hilarious. Like maybe you're hanging out with your buddies, you know, watching the game, and something comes up, and you're just like, you're, some, somebody says something, it's just right at that right, and everybody's just rolling, like having a good time. It's hilarious. And then you go, and you try to like take that home, and try to communicate that moment to like your wife, and you're like, hey, you'll, you'll never believe what happened today. And you start to tell her, and she's just looking at you like, like, I, I and what do you say, typically? You say, guess you had to be there. Yes, you had to be there, right? Like, as if you had been there, you would have thought it was funny like me. Maybe she's just like, I don't get you and your friend's humor. That's really what, that's really what she said. I don't, I don't even get it. Or maybe it's been this, like, a joke you heard, and you're like, man, that was, like, the funniest joke ever. And uh, you heard it, and then you try to, like, tell that same joke, and they're looking at you like, like, I don't get it. Did you already do the punchline? Like, I don't, what, what happened there? And so that would be an example of lost in translation because the joke probably was good. Your delivery was terrible, okay? So that's just, some of you are like, I, I, the, I don't know. The joke didn't work that time. You know, I don't know what it was, but sometimes it's lost in translation. And as somebody who speaks to people regularly, you can tell when something is connecting and when you're like, people are looking at you glossy-eyed, like you're like, and you think to yourself, this is going to be a long 30 minutes, but I'm going to make sure it's no longer than 30 minutes. Like, we're going through. Like, let me just get it out there, and we'll, we'll move on, right? But you can tell when there's connection, when there's resonance, or if something is lost in translation. I think of a time when I was down. I got to do a wedding down in uh, Columbia for one of my friends, and uh, he's like, hey, you know, he, he had met this Colombian uh, girl and, and all of kind of, you know, she had kind of moved up here, but she had, you know, all of her roots were in Cartagena, Colombia. And so he's like, would you do my wedding? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't see why I wouldn't want to go to Colombia. Like, that sounds awesome. And so he's like, we'll take, we'll cover all your costs. I'm like, awesome. You know, and so I was like, 100% in, let's go. And um, by the time we kind of rolled around and I'm on the plane, I started to think, you know, it's interesting. Like, I don't speak Spanish. You know, I'm going to a Spanish-speaking country. Like, and it starts to occur to me that I might have some problems with, like, basic things, like how do I get a taxi, how do I get to where I need to get, all of these things. And sure enough, it's very difficult if you don't speak the language to navigate a new country. Thankfully, one of the guys that was also in the wedding happened to be on my plane, and he spoke Spanish. So he, like, helped me, like, get to where I would have been completely, like, lost, and I, I have no idea. But so anyway, I'm, like, just completely relying upon him. And then I hadn't considered another thing, which was that to do a wedding, I would need to communicate, and the bride's entire family only spoke Spanish. And so we got one of the family members to be a translator, and I'm like, okay, this will be fine. Like, she'll translate what I say. But if you know me, you know I talk a little fast. And that's 
That's hard on translators. Like, and so I'm just talking like I would normally talk in conversation. And the interesting thing, too, when you're translating into another language, often the nuance is lost, right? The ability to, like, you know, the, the mannerism, the, all of those little nuances are lost, and so it doesn't always come across. And so I'm sitting out there, and I've got kind of like the groom's family. A lot of them I know. They're from where I grew up. And they're, getting, they're like, having a good time. They're resonating. I'm looking over here, and everybody's just like, you know, I, I don't I don't get this guy. You know, like, what's going on? And she's over here feverishly trying to keep up with me, like, you know, like trying to, and it was just the whole thing. And I, um, and she told me about it after. She's like, you really need to slow down. And, and you give me just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And so next time, like, I'll, I'll get it right next time, you know. The wedding was over. And then I get to the airport, and I kind of started to pick up on it a little bit. Like, I'm doing a better job, like, slowing down and, you know, and, and kind of taking in the, the language. I'm like, I think I'm even starting to understand a little bit of Spanish. And then I confidently kind of go up to, to, to get on the plane and get, you know, checked in for the airport. And uh, this woman is talking to me, and I'm like, I have no idea what she's saying. I'm like, at first, I'm like, say it again. Like, and she's asking me something. Like, over and over again, I'm like, I got nothing. And like in plain English, she goes, I need your license. Like she had been saying it the whole time. And I'm like, I guess I don't speak English either. Like I got, I got, I got nothing, you know, I got nothing. But over the last several weeks, we've been discussing what it looks like for us to step into the role and responsibility of sharing God's message of love. And what I think often happens is that this message that is so important, the most important message um, in the entire world gets lost in translation. And we are, in a sense, translators of the good news into our current moment, into the lives of people around us. Paul tells the Corinthian church that they are Christ's ambassadors. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and so we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And so what a powerful and important role and responsibility that we possess. The, another translation refers to it as we are Christ's representatives, that we represent Jesus. We represent the message of hope as those who have taken hold of hope ourselves. We reach out our hands and offer hope to the world. And it's a clear and simple message that I think gets lost in translation. And one of the simplest forms we find the message in John 3:16 through 17, and most of us could just share that scripture by heart for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And so the essence of that, the simplicity of that, that God loved the world, and you could sub anybody's name in there, including your own, that God loved us so much that he would give everything he had, that he would give himself, that he would give his very son. That's the extent of God's love. But somehow, I think that that message gets lost in translation. And I think that some of that is our fault. Some of that is our fault. It's not all our fault, but some of that is our fault. And so we should, as representatives of Jesus, consider how can we more clearly and powerfully convey the message of hope to the world. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I think that if you look at the book of Acts, and some of you have told me you're studying Acts, you're studying Acts right now uh, in your community groups, and there, uh, there's no way that in a short amount of time I could capture for you really all that is happening uh, in the book of Acts. It's a, it's a really um, 
it's a really just profound book to study. If you have time to do that, I would certainly suggest it. Grab a little study Bible along as you study, read some commentaries, dig into what is happening uh, as in this really historical book that captures uh, the history of the earliest movement, the earliest way of Jesus, and the, the earliest formation of the church. And what I want to do today is sort of take you kind of back in time and look at a couple of key moments as the gospel, the message of Jesus, the message of hope, is being conveyed in such a powerful and potent way. And what I want to do is say, what can we learn from what was happening then? What can we stand to learn? And I have actually five points, and so I apologize in advance. Somebody said to me today, they're like, you, you doing okay? Because you went really fast today. And uh, I said, I have five points. Like, I, I, I got to go as fast as I can, you know, today. And uh, I didn't feel like I could cut any of these. I think they're all important. So just grab a hold of what you can as we kind of go sprinting down the street, okay? All right, so here's the first one. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. To yourself first. And I think that one of the steps that we often skip is we think that this is just a message that we're supposed to share, but we forget in the process that we need to be recipients. As we sang that song just earlier, I just want you. We have to be in a place personally where we are receiving God's love, that God's love becomes this all-consuming thing that then flows from us. The more that you receive this message of the gospel, the good news that God so loved you, the more readily and potently will you proclaim it. In the book of Acts, we see Peter sharing boldly the good news of Jesus. I mean, just look at his many messages as he's just sharing. Now, granted, he was right in the middle of all of this. He had seen the resurrection. He had, and so he was just sharing powerfully. But what you see in his words, that you, um, as you read these words, you can see that it's not this dry, bland presentation. It's a personal proclamation. Like, this guy is enamored with Jesus in a way that just flows out of him. And after he shares the good news of Jesus at one point, he specifically says this, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us, given to those who obey him. He's saying, we're witnesses, like we've encountered this personally. We've experienced this. This isn't some hearsay. This isn't something that we read about. This is something that we have experienced firsthand. And the word here is really key. The word that I think is most key to this is we are witnesses of these things. He says that post-resurrection. And so he's not just saying this was something that happened. He's saying this is something that's continuing to happen. We are witnesses here and now, right now, of what God is doing in our midst. And so, yes, they were witnesses of the resurrection. They were witnesses of what God had done. But they also had this front row seat to what God was currently doing in their time, in their generation, and in their lives personally. And it was from that place that they proclaimed the good news of Jesus. We were down in Florida this week with our family, and uh, it's just beautiful down there. I won't, I won't talk too much about that because I don't want to make you feel, although the weather's been up great up here too, uh, but it was, it was beautiful, and uh, you know, the whole time, I wanted to just see a dolphin. Like, that was my thing. Like, I wanna, if I'm going to go to Florida, like, I, I want to see a dolphin, and uh, you know, a couple of the mornings, like, I was still in working on some stuff, and, and um, you know, our family was out walking some of them out on the beach, and they'd come back and be like, we saw a dolphin today, and I'm like, I hate you, you know, like, I, 
I want to see a dolphin, you know? And then, like, they're, they're shared about it. They're telling us all about it. And I'm like, man, it just makes me want to see a dolphin all the more. And so I'm walking on the beach. I'm looking. We have this big high spot where we can kind of see, like, you know, walk up way to the top of the house. And you can see out over the ocean. I'm looking for dolphins, like, no dolphins. And I'm like, and I'm going to come up empty on dolphins. And then we went and we did this little, um, like, like, jet ski sort of tour. And uh, we get out there, and the guy's like, hey, now I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, but we might see some wildlife out there. So just be looking. I'll try to point it out if it's there. And I'm kind of, like, starting to be discouraged at this point. I'm like, we're not going to see any dolphins. Like, I just, we're not. Like, I, and, and so we're out there. We're riding these jet skis, which was fun, by the way, riding out, like, on the ocean. Like, I'm just, like, holding on for dear life. Jess is holding on to me. I'm like, if anybody's falling off, it's not me. Like, it's the person on the back. You know, like, I felt for her the whole time. I'm like, I don't want to, I will never live that down, you know. So just, like, she's, we're getting out. We're hitting all these. And then all of a sudden, we come out in kind of this calm area of the water and look out. And, like, I couldn't, I didn't even say a word. I just saw it. I'm like, ah, ah. It was a dolphin. I'm like, there's one. And then there was like two. And then I'm like, I'm not even exaggerating. There was probably 20 dolphins. And they were like encircling us. They're doing like a whole dolphin show. Like it was like, like where did I get the tickets to the dolphin show? You know, I made a joke to like our tour guide. I was like, dude, thanks for bringing the dolphins in. He's like, yeah, I got an app on my phone. You know, I just kind of, I called him in, you know. But it was awesome. Like we got to see him. And, and there was another boat that my kids were on and, and a little pontoon boat. And they got to see the dolphins. And so we were all like so excited. Like this was totally worth it. Like I would have like four times for you know over for that trip to get to just be out there because it's different than seeing them way out in the ocean like I mean they're literally up against me like I could almost like grab onto a fin and do that cool like thing you see on the movies you know and it was it was awesome I'm still excited about it, as you could tell but I, I I thought to myself you know like this was such a cool experience like I wonder if this ever gets old for the locals you know, they, they live there. They see this kind of thing every time. Like, we kind of, you know, they, I wonder if, like, they ever take it for granted. Like, they literally just have dolphins swimming in their backyard. You know, like, how cool is that? You know, and, and I wondered, I don't know, does it get, does it get old? And I, as I share that story, I wonder, like, do we still get that excited about Jesus? Do we still get excited that it just never really gets old, that this message never really gets old? And I think the way that we really keep it fresh is we keep encountering and keep experiencing that the, the encounters that we have with Jesus weren't just something that happened at camp back in like 1996. And we share that same story. That story's cool. That's a good story. But are you still having fresh encounters with God in your private moments or just Having God's sightings in your life, you're like, man, I saw how he showed up here. Uh, documenting those things in your journal or whatever it might be. And really the simple word for that is just gratitude. Are you just saying like, look and see what God has done? I'm talking about God's sightings. And we have to keep positioning ourselves and set the posture of our heart in a way and really our lens toward God in a way where we see those things big and small as God is at work in our life and our family. As we really think about looking kind of in reverse at how he is guiding and navigating our story and how he's brought us to this point. And then as we get fired up about what God is doing, the natural thing to do is what? To share that. I mean, I had to tell everybody about the dolphins, right? I still am. And I think that this becomes kind of the natural first step as we become recipients of God's good news, that then we go and share God's good news. The gospel is not just something that happened to us. It's something that is happening to us. I like what Peyton Jones has to say about this. He says that evangelism cannot be an activity performed out of duty. It must become a lifestyle that flows from a heart overflowing with gratitude. That's how this 
dry presentation becomes something more, more of a personal proclamation. And the first thing then makes the rest of these things come more naturally, especially the second, and that's this. If we're going to speak this message, if we're going to convey the message of hope clearly, we have to stop sending mixed messages. What do I mean by that? In other words, we, not, we don't just need to share good news. We need to actually be good news. By our very presence in the places that we live, work, and play, by our very presence in the lives of the people around us, would you say that you're good news in those places? Are we as a church body collectively, this is a question we ask ourselves, are we good news in this community, in Warren County and beyond? And we see this in the book of Acts. We see in Acts 5, 12 through 16, it says that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers, they used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets. They laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And so what does the outward expression of that look like? I mean, I would say right there, those are evidence of good news. Those are evidence of people being good news. Maybe it doesn't look like you necessarily, you know, casting out an impure spirit in someone, but in what way are you breathing life into somebody in, in your circles and in, in the area around you or, or adding a little bit of joy into their life or conveying hope, not just in your words, but through your actions? Because I believe that the gospel that we are called to share is more than empty words. It's action that is drenched in compassion. It's action that is drenched in compassion. 1 John 3.18, he says, dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Or rather, let us not only love with words or speech, but actions and in truth. And by the way, the Christians of the first and the second centuries were known for this. I mean, you see it documented all throughout all kinds of source materials, not just Christian source materials. But there was this thing that was this peculiar about these Christians. They couldn't figure it out, and it was peculiar in a good way. We see that the Christians of the first and second centuries, they were known for showing hospitality to strangers. That They were inviting outsiders in in a way that was unparalleled or really not really done by the rest of society. They were taking in abandoned children. In fact, in the Roman Empire, what would happen is a father had to accept a child when it was born to say, I will take that child in. It wasn't just like it just happened that way naturally. If they didn't accept the child, they would leave it out in the wilderness to be eaten by wolves or just starve. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was happening. And what the Christians were doing is they were going and they were, they were grabbing hold of and taking in these abandoned children. They were providing support for widows, which were really not esteemed in that culture because they needed support. And, and so they, they, they showed up. They supported them. They provided care for the sick. In fact, a devastating plague decimated the population of the Roman Empire in the mid-2nd century. There was a death toll of around 5 million. And while most of the population fled because they wanted to avoid contracting the disease, they did so even leaving their own loved ones behind. They said, you know what, they, they left their loved ones to die alone because they were afraid to contract the disease. Guess who, who went and showed up for their loved ones? Christians. 
They not only cared for their own, but they cared for those that had been left to die. In fact, it was among the Christian population that the death toll was much uh, less prominent because of that, because of their ability to care for one another and not to fear. And it was so evident that these things were at work that the emperor wrote to one of the pagan priests saying that, hey, we should be doing what the Christians are doing. If you want paganism to kind of, you know, to, 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 to pack up more powerful punch, we should be doing what the Christians are doing. They're so highly esteemed among the people. They've won the favor of the people. And then he says this, he says, it's disgraceful that when no Jew ever had to beg in the impious um, Galileans, word for Christians, support not only their own poor but ours as well, and then he contrasted by saying, all men see that our people, the pagans, lack aid from us. He's saying, we don't take care of our own. They take care of our, our people and their people. They, don't, they see no distinction. And so there was something profound that was happening. The, the early Christians, in short, didn't just share good news. They were good news. So again, the question is, are we good news to the people around us? We, we need to stop sending mixed messages and make sure we're not just proclaiming, but actually living as people present with the good news. The next thing that's important is that we meet people where they're at. If, if, if you've done any kind of communication, you, you're, you're taught to know your audience. Not just know your subject matter, but you've got to know your audience because you have to connect your subject matter to your audience. And you wouldn't, pro, you wouldn't uh, convey the message in the same way, say, if you were teaching to a bunch of preschoolers, right, as you're teaching to a bunch of adults, right? This is why Miss Aaron and Miss Lisa and uh, these guys that teach with kids, like they're, they're, they and, and Donna, these guys are awesome because they, like, they have the ability to take something and, and simplify it and down to... Um, and I'm, I'm not honestly always great at that. In fact, one time um, I, was, I was out, um, it was kind of when I was in the middle of, um, I think I had just gotten out of seminary. I was in the middle of seminary. But we went on this trip, and we, uh, we were kind of at the pool one night. We stopped halfway on the trip. We were sitting at the pool, and I'm just hanging out, and uh, these guys are there, this guy and, like, his girlfriend. And I could tell right off the like, – like, this dude is enjoying himself. Like, he is, he's on something. Like, I don't know what it is, but he's, and he pretty much just told me, like, yeah, he's, like, kind of like, yeah, dude, like this, you know, he's, like, but he's, like, totally just, like, and then he's real chill, you know, and, like, and he just comes up to me, and he's, like, because, uh, you know how stuff comes up, and you're, like, have the conversation, like, what do you do? And I, I usually avoid that question, to be honest with you, because I know as soon as I say I'm a pastor, that all of a sudden people are going to change, like, the way they act around me, or they're going to somehow, like, apologize for, like, the string of expletives that they've already, like, you know, like, whatever it is. I, I just want people to be themselves, you know, and so I'm like, you know, I, I usually don't necessarily lead with that, but I was like, I told him I'm a pastor, and he's like, he's, and then he just looks at me, and he goes, give me your best shot, and I'm like, what, what are you talking, what do you, what does that even mean? He's like, come on, give me your best shot. He's like, because I could tell he's, you know, he's agnostic. He was basically saying, all right, convince me, like, in a quick presentation, like, give me your best shot. And so I like, I'm like, all right, like, I'll, I'll give it a go, you know, all right, God, what do you want me to do here? And so I literally, like, I, I just, I shared the gospel with him. And it, I don't even know how long it took. It took a while. And I threw every Christian word I knew at him. Like, I was, like, I was hitting him with all the big ones. And I'm, like, and I could tell by the end of it, like, his buzz had worn off. He's, like, like he, he has no idea what I'm talking about. And I, needless to say, I lost him, you know. And it was quite a pathetic shot at that. And, uh, and he just looks at me, like, kind of, like, you know, like, I, I, 
man, I hope somebody else gets a chance to talk with them because I think I pushed them the other way. You know, I, I don't know. But I would do it differently today because what I would do is I would, I would realize that, like, I had totally misread my audience. What I should have done was, like, asked them some questions, gotten to know them. Like, okay, tell me why you believe what you believe and what is it that you believe. And I would have started there. In fact, I love the approach that Paul takes um, in Athens when he says, and, and he sort of, he reads his audience well. It says that, um, he says this, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And so what he does is he's working through Athens and kind of, he's, he's traveling, right? He's kind of on his traveling missionary journey. And as he comes through Athens, he's observing the culture of the place that he's at. And he's kind of understanding more of their religious belief and where they're coming from, right? Rather than just kind of, you know, hitting them with this kind of generic gospel message. He's like, he meets them exactly where they're at. And he's saying, listen, he says, with uh, what, and I love his line. He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's like, hey, I saw the little statue about the unknown guy. He's like, well, guess what, guys? Good news. I'm going to proclaim to you the unknown God. He can be known. And then he goes on to share the message of the gospel from there. And we have this tool that we use, and I think that it's, it's really helpful um, because when you're sharing the message, we have to understand that, um, that as we share this message, that, that salvation in the Greek is really less of an event. It more, more speaks to a process. Now, that's not to say that there's not this threshold of this moment where somebody comes to belief, they come to salvation, but it's really a process. And as opposed to trying to, like, you know, make this presentation, give this, this sales pitch, and then close the deal, we should be meeting God where he's at in our life. Because how you kind of, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list of where people might be in their journey, but everybody's in a different place in their journey. And so we have to learn to step into and really meet God in the salvation process. And just like we talked about several weeks ago, we do the sharing, he does the saving. It's not my job to save anyone, that's God's job. We do the sharing. We meet people where they're at. And Paul tells us how some of kind of the behind the scenes of his process with people. He says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win more Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And he goes on to basically say, listen, all of these groups... I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I share with them in its blessings. And so it's important that we meet people where they're at. It's important that we use our words. Often we use that, you know, kind of misunderstand that. I think it was um, St. Francis of Assisi's, um, you know, share the gospel when necessary, use words. I, I think, yes, we better be doing it with our actions, but words are also important. We can't hide behind that and say only actions. We have to be willing to share the message. I know some of you, as I say that, sit there and think, I could never do it. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever enough. We had this mantra this past summer with a kids camp that we taught. It was at the gym, and we would give them these little mantras. And one of the days we wanted to teach them, you know, kind of the, the perseverance concept. And so we, we told them, we said, we look at them, so you can do hard things. And then they would repeat it. They'd say, I can do hard things. When you hear you, I can do hard things. They were way louder than you guys earlier, I was just saying. But they're you know, like shouting it back as I can do hard things. And then we had them do all of these different physical challenges and show them, like, you can actually do hard things. 
Fast forward a couple months later, and we're out on a run. I took Jude with me, and uh, he went a long way, too, about almost four miles. And we get on that last of the third mile. We're going up this hill, and I hear him. He's over there. He's going, Jude can do hard things. Jude can do hard things. He's doing his little scooter, you know, his little leg. I'm like, man, I'm tired. I had to tell myself I could do hard things, too. Um, And I say all that to say you can do this. You might be afraid of rejection or whatever it might be, but I'm reminded that as we think about those things, What about what the apostles were facing, imprisonment, persecution? I mean, this is what was happening. So we're worried that people might think that we're weird if we share this, or we might offend someone because we're not supposed to talk about religion. And I don't say these things to shame anyone. Rather, to help you realize you can do it. You can do hard things. You are more than capable. In fact, what what we see in Acts is that then they called them in again, and they were continually imprisoned and kind of forced to defend themselves. And they basically were like, stop talking about Jesus Peter and John are like, What's, what you think is right in, in your eyes is fine, but in, you tell us what we should do, to listen to you or him. You be the judges. And then they go on to say, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so not only can you do hard things, you can't not. I know it's a double negative, right? But that's what they said. We can't not share. We have to get to this place where through doing it, we see that we're capable of it. And then as, as we continue to progress on, we're like, we can't not do this. Ralph Moore once said that his church programmed him to view the good news as a short sales pitch followed by a prayer to close the deal. It's like, I didn't see anything like that in the Bible. In fact, he says, the writers never produced a gospel tract. They told a life-giving story. And I think that's what we have to get back to. And so he says, ask him a question. Is there a God story in your life? I like that question. Another effective question is, if there is a God, what do you think your part is in his story? So what would it look like to initiate a God conversation. You can do hard things. You can't not do those things. Last thing is this, and I'll have Hannah come up, and we'll close out here. We got one more song to sing, but here's the last idea. We got to do whatever it takes, and Paul was in prison time and time again for sharing this message. Though it was a powerful and important message, it was also a message that met a whole lot of resistance, and he continued to, to press on anyway. In fact, he was at one point supposed to be pleading for his own release, and instead of pleading for his own release from imprisonment, he instead pleads the gospel with the guy that's supposed to be hearing him out, Agrippa. The, the, and so to the king Agrippa, Paul, uh, he, you know, he's preaching the gospel, he's sharing his story, and Agrippa said to Paul, he said, you think you're going to convince me in such a short time to become a Christian? And Paul replied, and I love these words, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Short translation, I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes to, for hope to take hold of you. And I believe that that is our role, our responsibility, because I believe that hope never quits on anyone. We do whatever it takes for hope to take hold. Because though the human struggle runs deep, the hope of God runs deeper. God, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you for the reality of the gospel. And we just ask, God, that you would fill us with your love, fill us with your hope, help us to take hold of hope, allow hope to take hold of us, and help us to extend hope and convey hope in a way that is clear 
and powerful, God. And we ask that you would continue to change hearts. You would continue to breathe hope in the lives of those around us, God. We pray in Jesus' name.